0: I'll just speak a little bit to make sure that this uh, microphone's recording. They've got me with a microphone here. Is that working? Is Jason around? Is that okay, mate? That's that's fine. Excellent. Good. Well, look, it's a pleasure to be with you, and I was walking up and down the, the main street of La Trobe today, and I thought, this is a beautiful country town. It's really nice out there. One of my favourite places to holiday is to go to a nice beach and maybe you're like that as well. Uh, I know you've got Greens Beach and other places around here which are nice beaches. And I guess for me one of the signs that I know that I'm on a holiday is when I'm sitting on the beach and I just don't have to worry about anything and the waves are coming in and out and I can just watch that and it's, it's fantastic to watch. I want you to imagine, though, if you were at a beach holidaying like that and you saw the waves coming in and out, in and out. And then all of a sudden the wave went out and it kept going out and kept going out and out and out for one or two hundred metres going out. Now, I think that before the Boxing Day tsunami, many of us would have probably just looked at this odd phenomena and thought, what's going on here? What is this so like? What is, what, what is happening with this water going out? But now we realise that that means a tsunami is on the way and it's time to get to high ground. We understand it now, although I think there was a time when we didn't. I think we can look at our world as well. Look at what's happening in terms of when people make comments or draw cartoons or or engage with Islam in some ways and there's this response which seems out of proportion it may be that in the future we'll we'll look back at those responses and say they were signs of something else that was going to happen the book of Joel is a book that calls upon us to pay attention to the signs that God gives it tells us what the signs are what they mean and how we should respond And that's what we're going to be looking at today in these three talks. We're going to be looking at Joel and working through the signs that God gives, understanding them and how we need to be living as God's people. Please look at me at verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Now, the name Joel in this opening verse is actually quite a common name in Israel. He's the son of Pethuel, But more importantly... He's a prophet of God he is one to whom God spoke and revealed his word unlike many of the other prophets that we have in the Bible Joel is not dated you know how very often at the start of some of the prophets it will say during the reign of King Hezekiah and it will, it will locate the prophecy with Joel it, it isn't located in that sense not in those first few verses there are a few clues of things that are happening come with me to chapter 2 verse 20 we read there chapter 2 verse 20 I will drive the northern army far from you now the northern army there may be referring to the Assyrians or the Babylonians but it could also be the Arameans who came from the north but there's certainly an army there so it's it's a little hard to just uh, identify exactly when this book is from that or have a look in chapter 3 verse 5 speaking about Tyre and Sidon who were two local powers near Israel it says for you took my silver and my gold and carried off my finest treasures to your temples you sold the, my, you sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland now here is Israel being plundered by these local powers again It's pretty hard to date that. It's not that it's necessarily before the exile or after the exile. It's not talking about the Assyrians in particular. It actually seems as though it's talking about any time in Israel. This prophecy would be true for any period while Israel lives under the covenant of God. It talks about Israel. It talks about Judah. It has a special focus on Jerusalem. It seems, though, that it could speak any time, not one specific time. Now, this is actually because, one of the reasons is, that the Word of God is always relevant for us. And I think that we're seeing that here in Joel, that this is a general prophecy coming, not at a specific time, but to sum up a whole situation that's happening within Israel. Israel. And not only did it apply to Israel at any time but because it's the word of God the book of Joel actually applies to us today. It spoke to Israel and it speaks to us today even though we're many thousands of years after the the events that it speaks about. Well what does it say? Look at verse 2. Hear this you elders. Listen all you who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Here the prophet is calling people to do what they tend not to do and that is to listen to God. Hear this. Hear the word of the Lord, the prophet begins. What is this word that he's got? Well, it's not just about hearing. It's also going to be about passing on and listening and speaking look at verse 3 tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation now that sounds important doesn't it here it is the prophet saying hear the word of the Lord hear what I've got to say I'm going to tell you this message I want you to pass it to your children and then I want you to make sure that they pass it to their children what message would you do that for what is it that you would want your grandchildren to know? Please just have a look with me in verse 4. Just read verse 4 by yourself and have a look This what this message is. Joel chapter 1 verse 4 what the locust swarm has left the great locusts have eaten what the great locusts have left the young locusts have eaten what the young locusts have left other locusts have eaten that's the message for all generations that's odd isn't it I found that unusual when I was reading this that this is the message he wants passed on that the locusts have come and that there have been a series of locusts why pass that message on? obviously for Israel to, to have uh, but being an agricultural society to have the locusts come in is a disaster they don't have the same degree of food preservation as we do and so when the locusts come in it can actually mean dire straits for your community but is it just that they're meant to remember a time in their past where they had a disaster as we sometimes remember disasters that happen? well no because for Israel the locust was more than a disaster it was a sign and it was a sign because God said the locust would be a sign now to understand this we need to understand how God and Israel related together the nation of Israel was a nation that God made for himself he called them out of Israel he made them from one man and then he rescued them from, from, uh, from Egypt sorry he brought them out of Egypt and he made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai that they would be his people and he would be their God come with me to Deuteronomy 28 and we actually have the conditions of the covenant spelt out for us Deuteronomy 28 and we're told here that if Israel obeys the Lord in fact I'll just read it out Deuteronomy 28 if you obey If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. And then he goes through and talks about what all these blessings are. But if Israel turns away from God, then part of the covenant is that God will punish them. God will judge them. Look at verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And so Israel lives with a very specific understanding of how God relates to them. If they keep his law, they are blessed. If they turn away from God, they are judged. They're punished. And look in verse 38, 28, 38. And we'll see, how, we'll see what part of this judgment is. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little because the locust will devour it. And it, it goes on there about the locusts coming in and eating all these things and so the locusts for the Israelites were a very clear sign of God's judgment against them. And so this is why Joel wants this message passed on because it's an important message. It's not just a message about locusts. The message is God is angry with us. That's the message. That's what we need to make sure people know, that God is angry with our world. We need to pay attention to these things. Let's go back to Joel. Look at how we've got to pay attention. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, you drinkers of wine. Wail, because of the new wine, for it it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has teeth of a lion and fangs like a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined the fig trees. It has stripped off the bark and thrown it away, leaving the branches white. You see, they're to wake up and pay attention to this sign. They're to lament about it. They're to lament with the food that is gone. Obviously, with the food being taken away from them, there's going to be no rejoicing. But they're also to see this as a sign. Because very often, if if our crops fail, we can say, oh, well, let's make better preparations for next time so we don't get affected as badly. And what he's saying to them is don't just build bigger storehouses so the next time it comes along you can cope with this better. What he's saying is that you take the warning from this. Don't just think, well, let's figure out how we can get over this next time. No, see it as a sign. Don't just ignore this but understand it. The locusts are a sign that all is not well with God. Now, we are not Israel. And we don't have that same covenant relationship. The nation of Australia and the other nations of the world don't have that same covenant relationship that Israel had. There are similarities, but there are differences as well. And so a locust plague for us may or may not indicate that. But there are other signs that God has given, and the scriptures tell us he has given to the whole world, which function in a similar way. And I want us to look at these signs because these are the signs for us and for the the, the signs that that we can bring to those around us to show that something is wrong with our world. The first one is uh, creation itself, the creation around us. The scriptures in Romans chapter 1 say that God can be known from his creation, that the existence of God, the power of God, can be seen in his creation. I once met a man who was going to the world competition for pyrotechnics. Now, pyrotechnics, if you don't know, that's where you get to play with uh, fireworks on a big scale. And I I guess you've seen some fairly impressive pyrotechnics. We always see those types of things, don't we? At the Olympics, uh, at, at, uh, at the New Year we have pyrotechnics. But it's interesting that People don't often write poetry about pyrotechnics. They don't often, they're not often inspired by pyrotechnics. They don't, write, uh, they don't talk about in the past or the present, really. It's something to be enjoyed for that moment. But the common creation around us is spectacular. It's just so common, but it's just so good. The sunrise, the sunset a child being born. These things which are happening all the time actually do inspire people. Now it is true that this beauty and this inspiration that we see is also mixed with pain. I'm sure I could go around every person in this room and you could tell me about the pain that you've suffered in this world, at the things you've lost, the relationships that have broken, the death that has come into your life. But it's also true that while there is that suffering that we face God's glory is still there in creation It doesn't cancel out the glory of God in creation We still can see God's glory even though there is these difficulties and pain around us Anthony Flew uh, was the uh, emeritus professor of philosophy at Reading University He was one of the leading atheists of last century I wanted to check on him when I heard this claim so I went down to my university and I hopped on the catalogue and I typed in Anthony Flew and I wanted to see how many references you know, they're saying this guy's a big uh, atheist how many references has he got he had 32 references in the Hobart library that's a fair few he, was, uh, he, he is really someone who was known as uh, the Richard Dawkins type person of a previous generation anyway he's, he's written a new book saying there is a God and how the world's most notorious atheist changed his mind let me just read to you from an interview uh, Flew, the son of a Methodist minister is keen to repent and he quote as people have certainly been influenced by me, I want to try to correct the enormous damage I may have done, he said yesterday. Instead, he believes that new scientific discoveries have revealed the existence of an organising intelligence. Investigation of DNA, he said, quote, has shown by the most unbelievably, unbelievable complexity of the arrangements which are needed to produce life that intelligence must have been involved. Darwin's theory of evolution does not explain the origin and development of life to flu satisfaction. I have been persuaded that it is simply out of the question that the first living matter arose out of dead matter and then developed into an extraordinarily uh, complicated creature, he said. It's not just flu who says that but if you go around the majority world and look at cultures around our world they all have some recognition of God from creation they all have some understanding of it we may not agree with their understanding of it but they still want to see God in some way related to the creation around them and so I want to say to you that the explanation that God created our world is reasonable it's a reasonable thing for us to say It is reasonable. We mustn't think... We just can't let it be fobbed off. It has a long history uh, by all the great philosophers and just by human cultures around the world that God is seen in his creation. Yet in Western culture, if you speak of God, you're seen as simple. You're seen as stupid. It's almost embarrassing to bring God up in Western culture. Not in the majority world, but in Western culture and I actually think this is a sign for us because here it is you you can see the evidence for it it is a reasonable argument I'm not saying you can't reason with it but it is a reasonable argument seen by people around the world but you can't actually acknowledge it in our culture so here is something that can be seen but not acknowledged and to me that is a sign that something is wrong here is something that can be seen but we're embarrassed we're afraid to acknowledge that's a sign for us I think another sign is God's provision. The population of the world is, is growing, but yet there's still actually enough uh, fertility in the world to feed everyone in the world. Yet many people go hungry because of sinfulness. There are many people who just wish to make a profit and say so we'll have people starve. There are people who want to make war and say so we'll let people starve. And there are other people who just don't want to work and so starve there's a whole range of reasons so that's a sign for us we've got a world which can provide and yet we're not providing when we think of the tsunami why did it happen? now this may not be easy for us but the Bible makes it clear that God is in charge of all things we just can't say that was just the devil or that was just mother nature or that was just you know nature doing that the Bible makes it clear that, particularly in Isaiah forty five, verse six and seven, that God brings all of those things. Now, is it some type of karma that somehow those people deserved it? Well no, Jesus told us that when we see disaster happens to other people, when like when the tower of so low and when it fell on people, that we're not to think, Ah, oh, we're better than them. They deserved it, which is that karma type idea. No, Jesus said, You look to yourself and you repent. You see, the, the things that are happening in our world are a sign of God's wrath. We could also look at justice in the world and how that's a sign for us. So, Do you believe in justice? Because justice is a theological word. If you're an atheist and you just believe that the world just happened because of the necessity of chemical reactions, it, it began for no reason and it's just uh, continued just because of the necessity of chemical reactions... Then what is it that humans do? Well, humans are simply just acting as evolved creatures. They just do what they do. Like animals, we just do what we do. It's not that anything is right or wrong because there is no purpose behind anything. It's just, this is just what the human population does. I can tell you what they do but I can't make a value judgment as to whether or not that is right or wrong. You see, but the problem is we don't live that way. We know there is a justice. We know that some things are right and wrong. We may not agree as to what they are, but we know that it's there. The idea of right and wrong and justice is another testimony to God. That God is the one who has given us purpose. God is the one who gives us meaning. God is the one uh, who created us and gives this world direction. Now, there are other signs as well. There are, of course, the the signs that we have in the Prophets. So as we read through the Bible, the Bible being a collection of, of many prophets, what we see there, the promises that God gives, and we see how those promises come to their fulfilment with Jesus. And that's another great sign that we can consider, and that, that that's a sign that the Bible puts forward as a sign for all the world to consider, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. You see, you, you can look at these things and know where you stand. You can look at that sign and understand that sign. Now one of the problems that I think people can have is that they can have signs before them but they just, for whatever reason, don't, don't look at them. Uh, this no doubt happens in counselling situations where a husband and wife come in with a difficult relationship and one partner will say, everything's fine and the other partner will say, everything's terrible and it would just seem that the other the one who thinks everything's fine is just not aware of actually what's happening now I don't want you to be like that with the signs that God gives the signs of creation the signs of provision the signs of justice the signs of warning the signs of the prophets the sign of Jesus with his life, death and resurrection I believe them and so do millions of others they are reasonable signs and if you'll pay attention to those signs you'll know how to respond to God and that's where Joel moves on to now look at chapter uh, verse 13 put on sackcloth O priests and mourn wail you who minister before the Lord come and spend the night in sackcloth you who minister before my God so here he is telling the priests to wear sackcloth now what is sackcloth? Well, sackcloth is the the type of things that you have in the produce store. You know, the type of bag you have out the back shed. You might have had a whole lot of um, uh, pellets in it for feeding your cattle or something. And, you you know, those sacks. We'd probably call it a sack. And uh, it can be sort of made out of that plastic material these days. Um, But it's really different to what the priests normally wore. Because he's telling the priests to change their clothes... You see, if you've read the book of Exodus, what do the priests normally wear when they go into the temple? The priests, they normally wear probably the finest clothes in Israel. That, that's what the priests wore. They had these beautifully uh, dyed turbans. That they, they had these uh, multi-layered clothing with all gold and jewels all through it. They had a unique uh, anointing oil that they would use to anoint all these things that no one else would do. It was the finest perfume. See, the priest wore the best clothes. And what's he saying to do? He's saying, take off your beautiful clothes and put on sackcloth. Go and wear a sack. Cut a sack and put it over your head. Now, just imagine if there was a wedding, if you were attending a wedding and, uh, and we're all up here waiting for the bride to enter and the, the music begins, there's a bit of commotion as everyone goes, oh, she must be outside. And as she comes in, she's actually just got an old sack and cut a hole at the top and a hole at the the sides for her hands. And she just comes in wearing that sack. Now, what would she be saying? She'd be saying, all is not well here. All is not well. Now, this is what we're told to do before God we're told that we need to put on sackcloth. That is, we're to put ourselves in our proper place before God. Because clothing is very important, isn't it? If someone comes in in pomp and ceremony, it's saying, I belong up here. I belong up on the platform. You belong down there. You can tell by the clothes I wear. But when you put on sackcloth, you're saying, I belong down there. I belong at the feet of God. And putting on sackcloth is, is the way in which we humble ourselves before God. Now, you can be humbled in a few ways. If you misbehave outside, if you misbehave bad enough, then the police will come with their batons and capsicum spray and they will humble you. They will humble you and put you in a paddy wagon and put you in a cell and then sort out what they're going to do with you. But what God is saying here is he's saying, don't be humbled by the police. You humble yourself. You hear the sign and you turn. And that's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to put God in charge of your life. I want you to put yourself in your right place before God. That is, as a creature before his creator. As a servant before his Lord. I want you to put yourself in your right place before God. So that's putting on the sack off. He also talks about, in verse 14, look at Verse 14 he says declare a holy fast call a sacred assembly summon the elders and all who live in the land to to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord now here he talks about fasting fasting is a bit different it's similar but a bit different to sackcloth sackcloth is the idea of humbling yourself but fasting is the idea of, of desperation it's of saying nothing else matters but getting this sorted out I remember when my mother was diagnosed with uh, advanced liver cancer. Uh, I found out about it in the morning and it just came as a massive shock to our family. And I didn't eat lunch, not because I wasn't hungry, but I just didn't care about lunch. There was actually something far more important that I had to come before God here. I was begging for my mother's life. And so to me, just food was just off the agenda because there is something far more serious here and that's what fasting does it's getting serious with God and he's saying to them here look, the locusts have come don't just go having your feasts and your festivals and doing everything come up here and pray forget about the food tell everyone to forget you've got to get up here and sort this out now and this is what I want you to do I actually want you if you're not a Christian here today I want you not to eat until you become a Christian I want you to sort out because it is that serious If you are not a Christian, then you are going to stand before God and be condemned for your sins. That is serious. You need to get right with God of first importance. Don't go putting it off. Become a Christian today. Or it may be that you're actually involved in some type of sin. You've got some type of sin that you're harbouring and you've developed really good systems on how to keep this sin secret. So nobody knows you do this sin because you're actually very skilled at it now I would say God knows God knows and you need to be serious about your sin today you need to repent I need to repent we need to run to God in the face of this judgment look at verse 19 to you O Lord I call for fire has devoured the open pastures and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. See see who he calls out to? He calls out to the Lord. He calls out to the one who punishes him. It's God who has brought this judgment on Israel and the prophet of Israel, how does he respond? He doesn't curse God. He doesn't turn away from God, as some people do. God's done that to me. Curse God, as some people will say. No, he says... I will turn to God because where else have I got to go? And this is the case. You have got nowhere else to go. If you think that you can just ignore God and go somewhere else, you, you haven't got anywhere else to go. God is there. This was actually the, the attitude that Jesus himself even had. As he suffered on, on the cross, bearing our sins, fulfilling his Father's will, he didn't turn away from God the Father. He turned to God the Father, the one who could save him from death, as Hebrew says. And that's what I want you to do. In the face of the sign of God's judgment, in the signs that everything is not well between us and God, I want you to humble yourself before God and to take God seriously. To take God seriously and to come to God And to sort these things out. Find out what you need to find out. To pay attention to the sign. Because God has given us signs. We can know where we stand before God. And we're going to be looking at that later on in other talks. Thank you.